0: Welcome to the Grazing Podcast for Robertson Cheatham Farmers Co op. My name is Clint, and I will be your host as we record live from our beautiful Springfield, Tennessee location inside our podcast studio. Robertson Cheatham is a member owned farm supply cooperative. You can learn more about us on our website, yourfarmerscoop.com, in addition to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Welcome back to a grazing podcast. For Robson Cheatham Farmers Co-op, I can't imagine how excited you are to hear this episode. I can just feel it coming through the microphone, and you should be excited because our guest today is my favorite feed specialist from Patrician, Mr. Gary Williams. Hello, Gary. Good morning, Clint. How's it going? Good, man. It's good to have you on here again. Of course, we we talked for a minute this morning. You did this back when we were in the infancy stages of this uh pro- it's been a year ago at least probably when, almost a year ago when you had that big beautiful beard on your face yeah. now yeah. you just got a mustache <laughs> that looks good too but thank you i like you with a beard man when when do you typically grow the beard out is that in the
1: winter time or fall oh uh, that's just uh my son wanted me to do a no shave november and as that's a one and done i'm probably not gonna grow another one for a really while.
0: yeah um whenever you're because you and your son Kyle, who's also an employee here, y'all like to ride motorcycles. Right? Do you ever feel like a like a real a real biker when you got the beard on your face and it's flowing in the wind as you're driving down yeah, the road? And, and, and,
1: well, it, it's okay till you take it off and it's all messed all up and everything. Yeah, so. yeah. What kind of bike do you do you like to drive? <laughs> uh, I've got an Indian Springfield, so it's a big bagger bike. You know what size motor does it have in it? Eighteen hundred CC. Okay. And Kyle, he also has Indian. He's got the same him? same kind. He's got a chieftain, same same motor, but uh, it's got a fairing on his and mine doesn't. The Indian
0: bikes, may I may be wrong about this, but it that's not a bike you see a whole. It's not nearly as common as say a Harley Davidson. Oh, Is that correct. right? Yes, yeah, yeah, correct. Are they just hard to find, or they're just not as well? Pop- they, they, I, I don't know all the history of them. They they were
1: the first bike that was built. I guess they beat Harley as far as coming out first, but then uh, they went through some financial times. They went bankrupt for a little while, and and they were recently bought. And I I don't know exactly what year it was. I think it was 2012 or 14 or something. Uh, Polaris brought them back. No kidding. Yeah. So they they were out of production for a while, and then they came back through Polaris, and Polaris has done a really good job
0: on promoting the Indian brand, and they're really, they're doing good. I I had no idea Polaris Mm -hmm. bought them out. I was some, that has been several years ago, I think we were at the, Tra- we were in Chattanooga down there. There's a train museum, or maybe it's the Chattanooga Choo Choo. But they had one on display in there for mm-hmm. some reason. I don't know what it was. And I, I think that's the first time I ever remember actually seeing one. And they're beautiful bikes. Oh, uh, yeah. But it's like Harley, and <coughs> Harley's out and got them. And then, and then
1: the, you have the Indian, but they're, I guess, the only two made in um, uh, USA.
0: Yeah, obviously, so like Honda, that's, that's not made here. That's a Japanese yeah. bike. The the emblem I think is cool mm-hmm. on there. You know the Indian head. Have a, is it, he's wearing a headdress. Yeah, it? it's on my on my front fairing. Yeah, it's got that's a little cool. Indian there that glows in the dark,
1: lights up. Does up it, light on it when, at night?
0: Did you grow up riding Indians, or was that just something you got into? I did, I up? wanted uh, you know everybody's got a a black Harley, and so mm-hmm.
1: I didn't. I'm, I like to be a little different. so I have a red <laughs> Indian, and uh, yeah. That's that's the reason I chose it just to be a little different than everybody else. Did,
0: did you did you grow up riding them as a young man? Or?
1: No, I had a bike when I was probably a teenager, and then didn't own one till just recently. I just picked it back up. And
0: obviously, Kyle he picked yeah. up on it too. Yeah, right?
1: he when he got out of the military, he he bought a bike, and he's he's had three or four four bikes now.
0: I think. Do y'all just ride around here? or Do you do any long distance? Uh, trips? no,
1: we do some long distance ride. Usually once a year, we'll have a a, a group ride with our. Uh, motorcycle group. We, last year we went to uh, Bristol, Virginia, and the year before that we went to the to um, Fontana Village, and rode the dragon, uh, getting ready to go to uh, North Carolina this year for a big ride. So,
0: what about Sturgis? You ever drive up there?
1: Haven't done the Sturgis yet, but I'm that's on my bucket list. That's
0: anyway. a wild place, man. I've watched a documentary on Sturgis, and that's you see some some wild stuff up you, there. You don't have to do all that stuff to get in trouble. Is it
1: South Dakota? Is that where it is? I think that's where it's at, yeah. It's a long long ride. It's a
0: couple thousand miles up there. You know, Gary, I I think motorcycles are cool. I would love to own one, but I don't want to die either. (laughs) And the problem is it's not the motorcycle. It's the people around you. Oh, yeah. So how do you – obviously, I mean, defensive driving skills, Mm -hmm. trying to avoid an accident, but I had a friend – Now, this was after we got out of high school. This was probably six, seven years ago. He was riding one of those crotch rockets somewhere in Hendersonville. And he was going down, I don't know if it was Galton Road, but a car who was in the turning lane, he ran, he was red light. He turned left anyway and pulled right out in front of him. And he didn't have time to stop. Uh, T-boned the car, threw him over the car, I, it didn't kill him, but it screwed him up very. Because he's running probably forty-five mile an hour, oh, yeah. and uh, that the things you don't have control over with
1: other people—that's oh, right. what's that's, scary about it. You know, it. Kyle, when Kyle was trying to convince me to, to buy a bike, I was—you I, know—he said, "Come on, Dad, it's fun. It's fun. It's relaxing. It's really nice." And I said, it, "It's fun, son. It's not relaxing. You have to be on your toes all the time mm-hmm. because." You know, you're a smaller target. People don't see you. You're, you're, you're not protected. I mean, you're out in the open. Um, so, yeah, I've taken some uh, motorcycle courses to become a better rider. You try to, you know, you just got to be aware of mm-hmm. your surroundings all the time and, and not do crazy
0: things. And Well, you know, if we lived in a less densely populated area where there wasn't as much traffic, control, I'd probably get me one. If I was out west mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. But around here, man, it's just dead gum. There's so many people, and people are just careless. We were, where were we? Uh, um, my my wife's family, they have a lake house up in central Illinois, very rural. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they've got these little scooters. Mm-hmm. I don't know what little motor's in them, but they're fun to ride. I mean, shoot, you get up to 55, 60 mile an hour. All right. And I was riding one. Of course, it's a scooter. It's <laughs> not a... It's not Indian or a Harley, but I was pretending I was on a Harley. Mm. And I felt like a real big biker, Gary. And I was like, this is pretty cool, man. You would you would look good on a on a Harley. I know you? I would. <laughs> I know it. My <laughs> wife says, you look, you look great on one. But I just, I can't bring myself to do it. But I think if I was going to, I like to, I like learning about them. Mm-hmm. Like a, a pan head, the shovel heads, the knuckle right. heads, all those different type of motor designs. On the old, I think they're, especially the older bikes. Right. But they say I don't know how familiar you are, but like if you have a panhead, that would have been from the '50s, maybe. Uh, you're getting above my technical there, knowledge. It's there. so much maintenance that you have to do on them to keep them running like they should, mm-hmm. and I I just think it's neat. Yeah. Gary, I had no plans or intentions of talking about motorcycles on here, but <laughs> it's okay. I'm I'm glad that we did. Kyle, did we, did we hit it? I didn't hit a timer. You got a timer going? You've probably been. <laughs> Seven minutes. Seven minutes worth of motorcycle talk. All right. So, Gary, let's uh move on here for a second. Obviously, we've had you on before and we, we've learned a little bit about you, but you are our area feed specialist. Correct. Right. So you go out visiting farms, um, giving people advice on on what they could potentially be doing to help their operation, taking hay samples. Mm-hmm. Um You're an expert in, in nutrition. Yes. So this time of the year, we're in January, pe- the majority of people are supplementing with some sort of feed source. Most people don't have pasture left this time of year. Um, do you visit a lot of farms this time of year compared to the rest of the year? Or is this your busy time? Or Well,
1: I mean, I, c- I kind of visit as about year-round, I do that. Just got different questions every year, you know, throughout the, the year, what they're looking for, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, which mineral to use during fly season or, um, you know, do, when do I need to start feeding high mag to my cattle right. and all that on, as far as uh, minerals go. But then this time of the year, we also lead to the subject of do I need to supplement my cow or not, mm-hmm. you know, the cow herd, and, and that, that depends uh, mm-hmm. on the situation.
0: What you, are you seeing any patterns right now with the places you're visiting? I mean, the people like this year hay was it, hay's getting harder to come by. Mm-hmm. If you don't, well, even if you do produce your own, um, but when you factor in, you know, the price of fertilizer and the drought we were in, right. or if you buy it, the, what it's going to cost mm-hmm. you. Um, are you visiting folks that their hay supply is shorter? Uh, yeah, there. Most people are have either. Well, like
1: myself, I've got just enough hay to make it. If mm-hmm. if, if it's going to be a typical year, I'll have just enough hay to make it. Uh, other people are either short or uh, just going to have enough to make it. There's a few people that have some surplus out there. Um, didn't see a lot of people stockpiling any fescue fescue this year just because of the drought mm-hmm. and, and then fertilizer prices being so high. A lot of them didn't didn't fertilize like they should. Mm-hmm. And that's that's going to come back, I think, to bite some people that that you need, to, you need to feed that ground to get, the, get your uh, hay out of it.
0: Gary, you, but it is expensive. Oh, it is, and you just you have to have it. You know, I may have told you this last time, but I thought this was really interesting. Um, let's see. Last, so last, after last winter, we had a, a, a surplus of hay left over. I probably had 70, 80 rolls. Mm-hmm. So I didn't need to make as much in terms of volume for hay, you know, last May, June. So that, you know, I thought to myself, I don't need as much, so with it being as high as it is, the fertilizer, I'm not going to put any urea. I'm just I'm going to put potash, our phosphorus levels are good in the hay fields, and I know potash gets sucked out worse than anything. So I'm just going to put straight potash, no urea. And I was thinking, you know, I'll probably be able to tell a difference, but, you know, maybe 10, 20 percent less. And I've, I write down all my numbers of what the fields make each year. And just about – it was probably 12 different places we cut hay off of. Just about every one of them, the yield was cut back 50%. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, at one place made 60 rolls by not putting any – and it had quite a bit of clover in it, but still, it made 30. Yeah. Well, you hurt
1: your, you, I mean, you hurt your yield this time because you didn't put any nitrogen down, but, but you did help yourself by keeping the P&K there. In that soil, because that's a lot of people did the opposite. They just put nitrogen and didn't put any P and K down. Right, and they're going. They're just pulling off the ground, <laughs> and it, that's going to eventually catch up with them as well. Oh yeah, and that's, oh, yes. and that's a, a difficult to come back from is when you start taking away the
0: P and K out of the soil. Once you abuse a hay field and you get a really nice stand of broom sage out there, mm-hmm. it's hard to get rid of it. Yeah. Even if you put lime and, and potash and phosphorus, it's still hard. It's stubborn. Right. Um, but like I said, I wasn't worried about the yields because I had enough hay, but I was shocked at how much of a difference as far as less yield that it made not putting any urea. So that made me a believer in urea after right. I experienced that. Um, but it's, you know, hay, I talked to somebody the other day. It seemed like they had to pay 70 or $80 a roll this year for hay. And that, I mean, that's good, good like quality. Like five by six roll or something? I don't know five by five or five by six. Mm-hmm. It was larger than a yeah. four by five. Um, you, you look how much
1: fertilizer is in, oh, that, yeah. in that roll of hay right? <clears> or <throat> what it cost you to produce that and it's, they're not far
0: off. Your, your diesel fuel, yeah. your fertilizer, all the places I cut hay off of, it's on shares so I pay the landlord mm-hmm. on quarter shares what for what it makes so it's yeah. it's... A lot of money and your time more than anything, mm-hmm. so it's uh, you know there's not a cheap way to make hay anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you if you do try to be cheap, it's going to come back to bite you, like all you right. said. Um, so, did these farms you're visiting, everybody, <laughs> most people feeding hay, have is anybody that you've run into did they stockpile at all? Uh, you're the only person who said you
1: stockpile some hay this yeah. year. Uh, we just didn't have the weather this year to to do it. Just. You need that fall rain mm-hmm. uh, to, and, and you need to put some nitrogen down. And mm-hmm. take, you know, you would like to see 60 units of nitrogen put down there in September, October to get that grass to really going to, and to leave it alone. So some people were short on pasture just mm-hmm. because of the drought and uh, this quality wasn't there. Yeah, no, it it it, it certainly was. It's, it's a good thing to do if you can do it. Oh yeah, stockpiling is a is a fantastic way. Because you are producing some high-quality forage. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is – well, fescue is a cool-season grass, and it grows well in the fall. If you get the – have the fertilizer and have the the moisture, you will produce a lot of forage, a lot of high-quality forage, and then extend your grazing period on out. Better sometimes, than any hay. Yeah, sometimes until the first of the year if you do it under – uh, you know strip grazing or mm-hmm. some kind of management you just don't want to turn them in on a whole big field
0: you don't want right giving them a little bit at a, a time of like, yeah. Uh, well yeah again i stopped pop more than i ever have this year which is funny considering we were in a drought we didn't hardly get any rain in the fall but uh, i i locked our cow herd in a particular bottom that was mainly uh bermuda mm-hmm. wasn't much fescue in it just just bermuda and that was uh, middle of September. I didn't want to do it in August because that was just – it seemed a little bit too early for me. But middle of September. So I was feeding hay where they were mm-hmm. in that kind of sacrifice area from October un- until December and stockpile everything else. I'd never done it before. Mm-hmm. And uh, the quality, it wasn't nearly as good as what it would have been if we would have gotten rain. And uh, – it was be- It was obviously better than if I wouldn't have, but didn't make nearly as much. But I- it surprised me so far, because I think I turned him in on it December the 20th, and I probably got another uh, two or three weeks left of it, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But when you walk out there, there wasn't nearly as much fescue. Hmm. And I would... It looked like everything else was brown. You know, when when right. warm season grasses get frosted on, they they turn brown, mm-hmm. and I was just like, man, there ain't nothing out here. But the cows were content. You know, I'd give them enough area for two or three days at least, and I'd monitor them. I'd go out there and check them in the morning and check them in the evening. And when cows get hungry or they're discontent, they will tell you about it. All right. You know, they're gonna be, they're gonna hear the four wheeler coming. They're gonna start bawling. Um. I like to look at their on their left side their rumen feel, All You know right. what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And I'd go out there and I'm thinking they're going to be they're going to be ready to go. Mm-hmm. And they were they were fine. And I would watch them as they were eating. And they were you know they would get lit, little bits of green fescue growing under the under there. But they were taking in a lot of Dallas grass that had been frosted on, and a little bit of Bermuda and some foxtail and different different types of warm season grass. And they seemed fine with it. Hmm. And I got to research, and this was something I wanted to ask you about, I got to researching it, you know, certain warm season grasses after they get frosted on, I was thinking they were done. There's no nutrition value whatsoever, but apparently there is, depending on what species it is. Yeah, I would think that would be kind of like standing hay, you know, if you look at it that way. So That's,
1: yeah. It, it Probably quality is probably not there because it, it was mature, it it was maturing as right. it uh, was standing there. Right. So the... Uh, Quality, but the volume is there, and so they, you know, if they're full. Um, they're they're content. They were
0: content, and and they said it was kind of. Uh, of course, it depends on the species. Like crabgrass, they say it as soon as it gets frosted on, it's it's done. They say it, it doesn't hold up very well. But Dallas grass, they said once it gets frosted on, it's almost like uh, it goes into into a dormancy. But the the nutrients inside it kind of locks itself in place, which I I didn't know that. I thought once it got frosted on, it was done. Yeah. But uh, it's it's been better than I thought it was as far as with lack of rain right. um, this year. But it's nice, I'll say this, it's nice not having to feed hay in, in January. Not to worry about your tractor not cranking. It, it's, it's nice not having to go out there and start that tractor every day, especially yeah. you know, with the price of diesel fuel and everything yeah. else. Um, but I, I wanted to. I wanted to tell you kind of my experience, something that happened, cause I thought this, this was pretty fascinating. That cold snap we had right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So that was on a Thursday. About, I remember, 4 o'clock, Thursday evening, it started to rain a little bit. And I think we were in the 40s temperature wise 40 or 50, I remember. And then once that front came through, in a matter of hours, it dropped from 50 to 5 below zero. Yes. And I don't know. You may have experienced. Well, you've been from Mississippi. I don't know. I've never experienced it that cold, in combination with the wind blowing. It's a first for me. I, I, I've never had my pond freeze over that fast. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was an interesting experience because I mean it just it dropped like that, and with the with the wind chill factor in, I've never felt it that cold. But you know, I like I told you, I started giving them stockpile then. And when it started to rain, I gave them about five extra acres, more so than what I normally would, mm-hmm. <clears throat> to supplement them. And um, I was worried the whole time. I'm thinking, I'm going to need to go out there and feed They're going to need hay. They're going to need hay. They're going to need hay, as far as more supplementation, with it being so cold and then being wet on right. top of that. So it started – rain changed to snow probably, I don't know, eight, nine o'clock. And by 11 o'clock, I said, I'm, I'm going to go over there and check on them and see how they're doing. And um, I walked. I didn't ride a four-way. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to stir them up when they heard that motor coming, so I just walked with a flashlight. And uh, I got cold, Gary. <laughs> that wind was rough. Yeah. But uh, I got over, and I, 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 I put them in a field intentionally where there was uh, a row of cedar trees in there, blocking them from that, that west, northwest wind. <clears throat> to give them a windbreak. And when I got back there, I didn't know what to expect. I'm thinking, when they see me, they're going to start bawling. And if they do, I'm going to bring them some hay. But I got back there, and of course, they were all, they are more intelligent than what people realize. They were all huddled up in a big ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I shined the flashlight on them, they were chewing their cud. Nobody was bawling. I mean, they had snow on them, and they were obviously shielding themselves from that wind with each other. But they were fine. They were content. And I thought to myself, you know, that's pretty that's pretty wild with it being this cold, because I'm always thinking, I gotta feed A, I gotta feed A, gotta feed A. Just we we underestimate the value of grass Mm -hmm. if we can grow it as far as providing for their nutritional needs during a very extreme type of circumstances like we had. And even the next morning I went out there and unrolled Two rolls of hay for them they didn't act interested in it, oh, yeah. and there was snow on the ground, but they were using their nose to dig through that it wasn't a deep snow, but they were using their nose to dig through and eat the grass yeah. so I, you know it's I thought that was pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. I'd never experienced that before. it was mm-hmm. kind of a I like to do different trials and experiments right. gary, and that one that one worked out real well yeah. um, but I mentioned signs to go by. Are you familiar with of course we we talked about it, their disposition they'll let you know if they're hungry or they want something but and we may have talked about this before but manure mm-hmm. the consistency of their manure that can tell you a lot about nutritional needs if they're getting enough fiber versus protein yeah so the quality of the quality of the forage uh, if it's
1: if it's very digestible to them which it would usually indicate it's higher in nutrition, higher in protein or, higher, or lower in fiber, the patty is going to be a lot less uh, lower. You know, it's you not going to look tall. It's you're not going to have those high stackers out there if you mm-hmm. have if you have good quality f- forage. Um, yeah, so you can look at the manure pile and kind of determine what kind of forage you have. But that's that's all you know. One way to look at it, mm-hmm. of course, I think the best way would be to test your forage you know have Mm -hmm. your forage tested going into the season I know I came out to your farm and tested your forage so we could look at it and say well you know are you going to need to supplement with some kind of protein or energy source there Uh, and that's really the only true way to know what your forage Mm -hmm. uh, that you're producing as far as stored hay goes you know you you need to have it tested.
0: And Of course it's not we're talking about this a little bit it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of system. If you have a herd of dry cows mm-hmm. that ain't going to cap till spring, March, April, right. their nutritional needs, they're not nearly as high as, say, a first-calf heifer that have their first calf in the fall That's going correct. through the winter. That's correct. So, you, you know,
1: if you can, uh, you know, segregate your hay out, feed your best hay to first-calf heifers or fall calving cows right now, save your poor quality hay
0: for those cows and dry cows use that well the protein tubs that that we offer mm-hmm. what are what are those are those um
1: prolix is that what but they're now, called prolix is your liquid supplement that we have and then we have uh two types of tubs that we offer at the co-op it could be a rational x-tub and a sensible x-tub and they're either a a uh, chemically cured tub which would be your rational x-tub and then we have your um, I mean, back at Sensible X-tubs would be your chemically cured one, and then your Rational X-tub is a, is a cooked tub. It's a poured tub, low, super low moisture tub. So um,
0: they're typically in a yellow tub, and then you have the ones in the black ones. Okay, so the the, um, the ProLix, that's the first one I mentioned. That's where we come out to your farm with whatever source yeah, that is. It's a liquid supplement.
1: It's a, like a 36% protein Molasses based. Um, What's the advantage to using that, say, over those the tubs we have out here in the warehouse? Uh, convenience is the main thing because you just pick up the co-op and they come out and fill your tank for you. Uh, and, and so, typically, you can have fifty cows on one tank, mm-hmm. um, and we'll fill it up for you. It's a good source of protein and energy with that the sugars coming out of the molasses product there, and it's a very uh dense product, as far as uh you wouldn't think it's sixty five percent dry matter, but it is even though it's a liquid it's sixty five percent dry matter, so there's not a lot of water in the product <clears throat> cattle get a good energy out of there and and it's convenient for them they'll typically eat in the wintertime you might see them reach on up you know between two and three pounds a day consumption mm-hmm. on that and then if you go to the tubs like the the uh rationalix tubs, which would be that yellow tub it's a protein source along with, and it's a molasses-based product too. Um, Typical consumption on it is going to be three-quarters of a pound a day to a
0: pound. Will you typically see a reduction in hay feeding
1: with that supplementation? uh, Not a lot. I mean, they're going to eat what they're going to eat there, uh, but what it does is let that animal utilize that hay more efficiently so Mm. say like if your your hay if your hay is is low in protein marginal in protein say it's in the seven and eight percent protein wise the bugs in the rumen because that's what we're doing we're feeding the rumen all the time those those bugs need enough protein to digest the carbohydrates that are in that hay and when it's and the protein helps them do that you can get by feeding them just a quarter of a pound of protein, you could get maybe a 30% increase in fiber digestion Mm. from that hay. And so if we can let that animal digest that forage more efficiently there, they're going to get more energy out of it. Energy is what drives everything. Energy Mm -hmm. drives reproduction. Energy drives growth. And so we're we're looking for high-energy forage to begin with. We'd like to grow... And put up high quality forage where we don't have to supplement i'm mm-hmm. a, I, I mean i'm a feed salesman but uh, in the scheme of things you need to be putting up good quality forage so you so you you don't have to have an extra expense on the mm-hmm. cattle side of it so but we do want to make sure that we test our forage and we know uh, where we stand as far as the quality we have because if you're not supplementing that animal, and and you have one less cow get bred, or or it pushes her later calving on. season later on. How's that? That's affecting your bottom line too. Mm-hmm. So so you can't look at feeding uh, or supplementing your hay as a as a true expense because it could help you make more money by having more cattle uh, to calve earlier in the season. Your calves might be bigger. Your cows are going to look in better you know, be in better body condition mm-hmm. so they're gonna breed back better. So there's a reason to test your forage and to supplement correctly. It 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 saves
0: you money. Oh sure, sure. I mean golly, if you think three or four cows don't get bred back, they get bred back say late in the fall, mm-hmm. I mean that like you yeah. said, that's that's affecting your bottom line pretty drastically. Right. So if you you know, if you, if your typical
1: calf is gaining two point three to two and a half pounds a day gain every day, you know. 10 days out, it's 25 pounds.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It adds less, up. Less calf. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It it adds up very much so. Um, have you ever heard of <clears> – <throat> of course, we stopped talking about stoppiling fescue. fescue. Kentucky 31, it does very well. Uh-huh. It holds up under these hard frosts. Have you ever heard that um, – well, the, the endophyte fungus uh-huh. inside the Kentucky 31 – the way I understand it, that's what makes the plant very hardy Mm -hmm. in itself. But also there is a drawback to that. The, the, the fungus inside when the cow consumes it, it heats them up. They don't shed off as well. Mm -hmm. Um, it it just has some negative effects on their anatomy. But I've heard that if, if you can stockpile and you let, you know, some heavy frost get on it, it will not eliminate the, um, that gum, Gary, what's it called? I can't, I, my, I forgot what it's called. The fungus inside, what's the name of it?
1: The fungus in the fescue? Yeah. Indified, indified, fight. Yeah, indified fescue.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Gary, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> I lost Fair. my- I, I, I was trying to follow where you was You was going. fight. Yeah. I lost my bank card the other day. I had it in my hand, and then I left the bank, and it literally vanished in the thin air. Oh, hey. And I went back to the bank and said, did I leave it here, y'all? And I said, No. Hmm. So I went from Kroger – I made three different trips from Kroger to the bank looking oh. for it. Did you know – I'm getting way off topic here, <laughs> but I thought this was – I went to Kroger because I went there for a second. Right. Later I went to the help desk. I said, has anybody turned in a card? They opened a drawer, just a regular drawer, and there was cards, IDs and debit cards and credit cards, whatever, that people have lost there. Right. Over – it has to be a period of years. Those cards two feet thick in that drawer. <laughs> I can imagine. I've I've lost a card too. I got,
1: I, got, I lost a card at uh, Bo Jangles in Gallatin. I got out to go and get something to eat, and I got back in my card. And I, Where's it, where it at? And I drove back there, and it was inside. Somebody picked it up and turned it back in. So a good Samaritan turned yeah, it back turned in. turned it back in. But it, back to your. Uh, the ind- stockpile fescue. I think. I think you're correct. I think that the stockpile fescue has a, a lot less endophyte in it. Yeah. That's less harmful for the cattle. Uh, you know. And and plus those, if it's stockpiled correctly, you're just. It's almost all leaf. There's no, mm-hmm. you know. There's no stem to it. There's not a, you know. That's so. And that fungus is mostly kind of in the stem. It's not as in the leaf section mm-hmm. of it. Um, so you have it. Yeah, there's a lot less endophyte in the fescue in a
0: in a stockpile mm-hmm. version of it. Let's just say you have a, a large portion, if not all, of your your cows are lactating. They they cabbed in the fall, mm-hmm. and you were to give them that. You know, that's typically that's going to be. What would the protein content be? Do you know in in stockpiled fescue? I, I've seen it as high as like sixteen percent protein. Mm.
1: It is very high quality. If it if it if it gets the the fertilizer and the rain
0: on it, it can be super high quality. It's best better than any better, hay that yes. we can feed. It's yeah. not alfalfa Correct. or something high quality like that. So that's that's also something to yeah, I've, uh I've to seen it really
1: high quality. Most most hay in, in Tennessee's in like nine to ten percent protein fescue hay, low energy, but stockpile fescue if it if, if you can hit it. Right, get timing right
0: on it. It is super quality. If a man wanted to take a hit on his quality, or not quality, his quantity as far as hay production, let's just say there was a window late April, early May, where it was the temperatures were a little bit warmer, where they could go ahead and cut some of their hay fields, Mm -hmm. but obviously it's in in the vegetative state where it's going to be the most uh, protein, had the most protein in it. What would as far as compared to say eight or nine like you just mentioned would it be drastically higher yeah, at that it'll, early it'll be stage higher. as that <clears throat> as that plant matures protein
1: you know goes down so mm-hmm. i guess typically cutting fescue hay in this area is the first two weeks of may it would be your optimum time because you're trying to get it at that uh, where you maximize quality and quantity mm-hmm. uh, and that's at that boot stage just as as soon as the seed head starts to emerge that's when you'd want to go in there and start cutting it Mm -hmm. Uh, so you need to be ready prior to may have everything hooked up and ready to go because there'll be a a short five-day window within that first two weeks of may that you can cut but you don't need to be sitting back on the lazy chair watching the news and and decide Hey, oh, the weatherman says they got five days, and then you get up that morning and try to hook everything up yeah, because yeah. there's something always wrong. Oh
0: yeah, and, no, and so you need always. to be ready
1: to go when it's when the weatherman says there's five days. Yeah,
0: uh, that's something I want to do better this year, Gary. Have everything hooked up, greased, ready to go. Because mm-hmm. I always, uh, well, we got four or five days coming up. Takes and, you a whole day to get ready. Takes you, oh golly, <laughs> sometimes it takes two or three. Because then you run into stuff, you find that's tore up, and mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, if if you can get the weather, as far as you know, the mm-hmm. temperature, the sun being out, no moisture in the forecast, we we had some wheat one time we cut late April, and when I say late April, it was probably April the twentieth, twenty fifth. About when wheat would come off. Oh man, it, you talk about some fine hay. Mm-hmm. It
1: made some really really excellent. And, 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 excellent and that goes hay. with their all forages. You know, you're trying to get them at that just as soon as the seed head starts to come out. So that would be optimum time on wheat or rye or ryegrass or fescue or anything. Even like alfalfa, you try to cut it at a tenth of a bloom. So so you just want it just starting to bloom, which is right at its, you know, right there where it's starting to get too mature. So all your forages, cut them at that. That's the target. That's the target right before they start to. Put a seed head,
0: well, and even in, in in grazing, I would I would think that's the same thing. You want to start grazing at the boot stage if you can, mm-hmm. and they say you know if you if you do have some sort of rotational grazing system to move them very quickly in yeah. the spring to keep up with the spring flush. You know when you have all those forages coming in,
1: <clears throat> right? Leave leave some some leaf out there yep. to absorb the sunlight to let it recover faster. If you graze it down lower, it takes it longer to recover. Yes, it does. And so I mean I know you. Had Doctor Brand come out to your farm and, and do a walk
0: through and I'm going to visit him tomorrow, Gary. Okay. I'm a, he has a farm walk in October, but I, we couldn't go due to something. So I emailed him and I'm, I'm going to go out to his place tomorrow because I've got some questions I want to ask him and glean some wisdom from him. So. I want him to take me down there. That they big take, take that to spring. The spring, yeah, big it, bubbling spring. Yeah. It'll, be, to. it'll be cold. It'll be beautiful if you go down there. How many gallons a minute say comes let out of it? Let him tell
1: you. I thought I, I was thinking it was like fifty something thousand gallons a minute, but it's <sighs> let him tell you again because it's been a long and, time since I've been there.
0: And didn't you tell me, Or he, when you were there, he told you when it's really cold, you know, the warm air coming out of that spring, it gets yeah. up to a certain point and then freezes on the trees? Right, and... it was his dad was telling me that. I, I didn't get to talk to
1: Greg, but William, his, his dad, took me down there and he said, you need to come back when it's cold because mm-hmm. it's almost like a little ice palace with the warm water coming out, out of the
0: ground. Something like out of that movie Frozen. Did you ever see that, that animated movie? I'm afraid I, had to, I did have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I went and saw it in theaters when it came out, Gary. I didn't, I didn't do that much. I thought I saw it. I thought you sat a few rows in front of me. I guess not. It must have been somebody that looked like <laughs> uh-huh. you. That's a good movie. Uh-huh. Well, Gary, uh, I mean, we've been going for, golly, probably close to 40, 45 minutes now. Probably a little bit longer than that because we spent about 10 minutes talking about motorcycles. Um, so, big picture. hmm uh-huh. Anybody that, that may listen to this, maybe they want to implement some of this. You will go out. If someone contacts us or you, yeah. you can come out to their farm. If they're curious about where they stand as far as quality of their hay, you can take a test, send it off, get the results back, take a look at it, suggest to them, hey, you, you're you in good shape, you don't need it, or yeah. you may want to look and, at something. And that, that's, a, <clears throat> that's a free service through uh, – through Robertson County Co-op is
1: mm-hmm. we'll will come out. Yeah, just give me a call and or, or or call y'all and y'all can get in touch with me. I'll come out to your farm. We'll uh, sample your forage. We'll. Uh, it usually takes about a week to get the results mm-hmm. back. We'll. I'll, I'll. I've got a ration balancing program that I can put it through and we can kind of give you some options whether you do need to feed hay or not. I mean, uh, supplement the hay or not. Uh, make a recommendation for you. You know, that's a service we don't charge for.
0: Let me ask you this, Gary. If someone, let's just say they don't put up their own hay, they have to purchase their own hay. Uh-huh. Do you ever, do you ever have anyone contact you say, "Hey, will you come out with me to this this uh, person selling it and take a sample?" Cause yeah, I have. I've, I've I've had that done before. Um, and and you want to take a
1: use a we I use a core sampling tool just like you would take a a, a soil sample with a probe probe uh, the best way is to take a uh, I have a hay probe and you want to you would like to sample about 10 percent of the whatever you're fixing to buy or fixing to sell or use mm-hmm. or whatever I've had people that are selling it you know use that as a selling tool they'll have me s- sure. uh, sample their hay and then they can say hey this is the quality hay you're buying because you can't tell looking at it because no. it's hard to tell uh, what kind of quality you have and so it's a it's a uh, good tool to use whether you're have your own or you're buying it or you're selling it mm-hmm. to know where
0: you're where you stand there and so, Is it, like you said it's hard you can open it up and pull a little bit out, and you know if it's full of broom sage, you'll be able to yeah. tell if you know what you're looking for but it's you can't you can't gauge what kind of you protein know, you look at, you're at, you smell at it smell it and you can look
1: at it, but really test it it's it's yeah. cheap i mean it's uh, one We we offer one free service, uh, one sampling. Uh, if you want to get multiple ones, I think they around $25 to per sample that we charge um, for any extra you want to do. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's, that's where you start, and then and you need to know what you have. you got to measure it before
0: you can manage well, it. Well, I would definitely suggest that to, because there are going to be a lot of people if it turns off cold again, and mm-hmm. maybe not if it stays mild like this, <laughs> People are probably gonna run short mm-hmm. and may have to, to purchase some. And I would absolutely encourage them to reach out to you mm-hmm. to get a sample done because you don't wanna buy junk <laughs> hay that put out there and they turn their nose up mm-hmm. at. So yeah, that's that's a. that's kind of the advantages of buying hay because
1: that terrible bad hay costs the same as <laughs> a good yes, hay it does, it does most it's, of
0: the time, yeah. Yes. No know, know what you're getting, know what you're gonna spend spend money on. Uh Gary, is there anything we haven't covered that you're just just on fire to talk about um i can't think of you know just test your
1: forward just where we need to because that's what we're into is supplementing hay uh supplementing your cows during the during this winter time mm-hmm. and and energy is what drives everything it drives growth and and reproduction uh, make sure you're feeding a good quality mineral out there to them those yes. those, those uh, microbes in the room and they require uh, minerals just like your you know, copper and zinc, mm-hmm. cobalt, all those things, to make that animal efficient. Uh, if you can, I would suggest feeding uh, some type of an anfor, which would be their uh, uh, It makes that animal more efficient. You utilize that hay more efficiently mm-hmm. and get more energy out of what you're feeding them, and it it costs very little to.
0: Uh, supplement with remensin. Have you ever heard of during a, a drought period like what we went through this past year the forages, you may go out there and your your pasture it doesn't look very great but it's actually very high more so than normal in nutrients because the roots had to go a little bit deeper into the soil profile mm-hmm. hunting for water. Right. So the the nutrient value is higher in the ground. Have you ever heard of anything like uh, that? can't recall <clears> right <throat> off top of my head but I, i've heard that and we we keep uh high quality mineral out year round because mm-hmm. I, I, I truly believe in it it, it pays for itself yeah. um, but it seems like they haven't consumed as much this winter and maybe that's just i might be imagining it. i don't know
1: well you know
0: the, the driving force
1: in mineral consumption is going to be sodium so, salt right so salt is what that's the only nutrient that Cattle actually crave. They don't. Mm. They don't crave selenium, and they don't crave vitamin E. They 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 don't know that they need it. I've I've been to farms that's got this. They call it a cafeteria style. Yeah, I've seen those feeding, and 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 some people believe that that animal knows it needs so much. It'll go over there and lick a little bit of copper and a little bit of zinc and a little bit of. They don't. If they were that smart. Women wouldn't have osteoporosis. They would know (laughs) that they need to take what they they need. So um, you need a well-balanced mineral from a good, you know, respectable company there. And uh, salt's what's the driving force. And so sometimes, depending on different farms, the soil contains more sodium than others. So Mm -hmm. if your forage is a higher sodium forage, they'll probably eat less mineral on that farm because they're – they have a craving for salt, and so certain times of the year, um, animals require more. It depends on it depends on the forage that they're consuming. It depends on the stage of lactation that they're in. Uh, mineral consumption can vary. You really don't want to take a picture of a, a mineral consumption over a week. You'd like to take it over ninety days sure. and say the longer the better. And, and you know I've got several studies out there showing how it fluctuates up and down two ounces one week and four ounces one week, and but it, it will average out to pretty much what everybody's tag sure. says their mineral is going to do.
0: It seems like also when the, when the grass starts growing young and vegetative, uh-huh. uh, when it really goes through them, it seems like they really yeah. increase their mineral consumption. If then you're drinking too.
1: water, you can eat a lot more salty popcorn. Right,
0: yeah, yeah. Do you think there's a parallel universe somewhere, Gary, where there's cows <laughs> farming people? <laughs> is that possible, you I think? Don't, I don't know. They're sitting here having this conversation like you and I are doing, and it's you and me out there eating hay. We, we can't talk about uh, alternative
1: universes because uh, my son will get upset with me, because I'd, I'd watched "The Matrix" one time, and he had had a big, bad dream, and he was scared, you know, and he, he, this was back when he was little now. He was, this wasn't last week. No, this wasn't last week. He was young. He, and he swears to this day I've messed him up, but he, he came to me and said, "Dad, I had a bad, bad dream." And I said, you're not dreaming, son. That was reality. You're,
0: <laughs> you're dreaming right now. Yeah, that is, a mean, <laughs> that is a mean prank to play. It's pretty funny, but... He I, has not forgiven me to this day. <laughs> That's pretty good. I've never watched it. I know the movie, it's a famous movie, The Matrix. Yeah. I've heard there are people that believe we're in some sort of Matrix event. I, I'm not going to watch it because it'd make me think too much about it. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I'd be calling you up yeah. trying to he's, uh, he's, search for advice on it. He, he, um could be possible, though. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe. Maybe. The universe possible. is a big Anything's place. possible. <laughs> well, Gary, I think that's going to wrap us up. It's been fun. Yes. Yes, it has been. Uh, enjoyed it. Where are we at, Kyle? We'd go and make it 45, 50 minutes. 45, exactly. All right. Well, I tell you what, Gary, if it's cool with you, let's go ahead and make that a wrap for the morning. You Sounds want to? Sounds good to me. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. And remember, uh, Mr. Gary Williams, he's our feed specialist. If you ever or interested in getting your forage tested, he is the man that can do that. And you can just reach out to co-op here. There's some contact information somewhere. Okay. It's there if you want it, anyway. All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in to another episode next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Grazing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and come pay us a visit at Robertson Sheatham Farmers Co-op.